electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Magnificent meta, the stock surging on its earnings and guidance, a new dividend. Altimeter's Brad Gerstner joining us exclusively in just a few moments to talk about all of that. By the way, that stock up more than 260% since his get fit letter to the company a year and a half ago. We're also going to trade Amazon and Apple today. And Joe Terranova rebalancing his ETF with several major moves to go through. We're going to do all of it. Joining me for the hour, along with Joe today, Stephanie Link and Jason Snipe. Let's check the markets. Do have decent gains out of the S&P, NASDAQ today as well. Dow's hanging on to positive territory. So for the moment, we're green across the board. We're obviously going to start with our chart of the day. It is meta as those shares are surging. A record intraday high, best day in exactly a year. Um, Joe, I'll go to you first. Steph, I, I, know how, I know how bad you must feel today, good and bad, but we'll, we'll get to that. And I'll, we'll try and take it easy it's on you. It's not all bad. It's not, it's but not I, 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 can, I can only imagine. Let me just say this. That's I right. can only imagine how you're feeling today. Joe, let's, let's just go to you first. Um, you own it in the Joe T. Um, you lose superlatives when you when you uh, have what what they've delivered and what the stock is doing today. It's just extraordinary. It's 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 staggering. Um, thankfully, the ownership that that we have is is rules based. Um, I have to say candidly, one year ago, when sitting on this desk one year ago, there were zero mega caps in the strategy. And you look at Meta, and you say to yourself. Would I, if I had the discretion, have purchased Meta when the strategy did at 240 and Steph did, did it at half of that, so she should feel great about that, mm-hmm. um, back in April? And no, I wouldn't have, but it's rules-based, it's non-discretionary, it got in at 240, and what did it do? It was able to ride the momentum and the change in leadership from Mark Zuckerberg, the change in leadership, the cost efficiency, uh, the phenomenal recreation and capture and utilization of AI mm-hmm. to benefit the core ad business, the growth of reels, and now a buyback and, and a dividend. Uh, this, is, this is really the, the type of corporate actions that when you think about technology names, you think about Microsoft doing. So Steph, you are only human. Um, <laughs> Okay. I'm sure there's yeah. sellers. I'm sure there's sellers remorse. You sold the rest of it, you know, two Fridays ago. Just give me your thoughts today as you watch this stock, and it's added. I mean, it's up a year's worth of returns, 26% since you sold it. Yes, you made a lot of money in it, obviously. Just take, give us your your yeah, feelings. Look, I mean, I made 170%. Scott, mm-hmm. no one was buying. No one was buying this stock at $95 a share, and I was. And I was buying it all the way down. We talked about it. Two years ago, it was terrible. 
Um, and I made my money and I thought the valuation got to kind of average. And I thought that on a risk reward basis, obviously wrong, but I thought Amazon was better, more attractive to me. Um, and so I didn't have a ton of cash. So I took the rest of the profits that I had in Meta and put it into Amazon. And I'm not unhappy about that because I think Amazon is going to go a lot higher. And we'll talk about that, I yes, guess, later. Will. Of course we but will. There's, not, there's nothing to complain about on this quarter whatsoever. Oh, and, you and think? Fact, I mean, let fact, me ask the daily, you this. The Daily Watch. Yeah. This is the most important and, and impressive thing to me. That's what I was going to ask daily, you. What stands out the most to you that just blows you away? The Daily Watch time on all of their videos was up 25% year over year for a company of this size. So they, yes, they saw progress in threads and shops ads um, and, and reels. We were talking about reels when it was nothing. And yes. so they've really come a long way. But I think the real reason the stock is up, not only the guidance was better at 29% for the quarter for, uh, for the next quarter for, um, for total revenues, uh, but also I think a lot of it has to do with the dividend. Because now you have other investors, different investors that can actually buy this and justify owning something like this because it offers one. And if you, if it, obviously before it didn't, so they were, were kind of locked out. Um, but in addition, there are a lot of things that they're going to be doing with AI and the momentum and this and that and the other thing. Mm -hmm. But I just think I like Amazon better at this point in time and, and, and in this environment. Okay. I feel, I feel okay. We'll, we'll get there. Um, Jason, you don't own it, so I'm going to respectfully ask you to be patient for a moment because yeah. I want to bring in our halftime headliner today exclusively. Brad Gerstner, the founder and CEO of Altimeter Capital, joins us now. Uh, it's so good to have you here. I couldn't imagine doing this show today without hearing from you. So thank you for being with us today, Brad. Thanks for having me on, Scott. It's good to see you all, and yeah. good to see uh, Joe and, and Stephanie. It was it was a seminal moment. I, I think it's it's fair to say, October twenty fourth of twenty twenty two, you send the letter to Facebook, quote, "Time to get fit." The stock is up two hundred and sixty seven percent since your letter. Incredible. What was most impressive to you here about this particular quarter, Brad? Well, first, let me just say, as, as I've said many times, you know, all credit goes to Mark and Susan and the incredible team at Meta. But what we saw this quarter is the same reason we bought the stock and wrote the letter, which is it's in the numbers. Revenue was up 25 percent. Stephanie just talked about engagement being up on video, 25 percent driven by AI. But even more impressively, free cash flow was up 28 percent because of their commitment to efficiency. Right. When we wrote that letter in Q3 of 22, the headcount at this company was 87,000 people. As of this quarter, it was 67,000 people. They've nearly tripled their earnings per person working at the company in, in over that 15 month period of time. And now the world is starting to see what we've discussed many times over the course of the last year. Um, you know, a year ago, everybody said that, that Google was king of the hill when it comes to AI, perfectly positioned for AI, and that Meta was nowhere in the game. But remember in the letter, one of the things that was probably most undercovered was I said, control the cost and investment in AR, VR, and double down on AI, right? That was a couple months before chat GPT hit. And oh, have they doubled down on AI. They are the single largest beneficiary of AI from a profit perspective in the public markets today outside of NVIDIA. And so I really think it's about that. And when I look forward mm -hmm. at the stock, I expect it to continue to work. 
because I expect the numbers to continue to be delivered. You know, it, it's so interesting. When, when you wrote the initial letter, he kind of gave you the Heisman for a moment, then reported earnings, didn't pay any attention to what you were suggesting. Last night on the earnings call, he being Mark Zuckerberg, of course, said, I really think we operate better as a leaner company. Did you ever think you would hear Mark Zuckerberg say those words? I did, actually. Right. Um, you know, I got a lot of grief, as you know. Um, we wrote the letter on a Monday. They reported earnings on a Thursday. And I got a lot of grief, people saying, you know, why would you do this? Mark has supermajority voting control. But I did it precisely because he's the type of leader with founder authority. I knew how much he cared about this company and that he could redirect the ship. You know, many companies get so large that you can't turn the ship easily. But Mark was able to turn the ship, you know, and when he wrote the letter year of efficiency in February of 23, right, where he said flatter is faster, leaner is better. It was the call to all of Silicon Valley, to all of technology, right, to get fit. And they led the charge. I think he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for that. You know, and like I said, they've tripled their earnings per uh, per employee while going from 87,000 to 67,000 employees. You know, if you look at Google over that same period of time, I pulled the numbers this morning. They have 187,000 employees in the third quarter of 22, and they still have 183,000 employees, right? They barely move the needle on their earnings per employee over that period of time. So, I, you know, it's not that this got easy for all tech companies, right? Execution matters. This is a founder at the top of his game who's doubling down on AI and who's going to lead the next super cycle uh, rather than get left behind by it. I thought that Deirdre Bosa, just before we came on the air, just made a just a wonderful point that the proof of what this company and Amazon and, and, and the like is that they can innovate and return cash to shareholders and at the same time still get more efficient. You just wanted their spending to be more targeted toward what I guess you you saw where the puck was going rather than on some moonshot, which may pay off, may not, but it wasn't going to be the big needle mover for the future. You know, I, I mean, if you think about it, they're going to spend $20 billion this year on Reality Labs. Just to put that in perspective, the market is assigning, that's $6 in earnings. The market's assigning a 20 times multiple to the company. So that's effectively an implied valuation of negative $120 per share for Reality Labs. Now, I happen to think that, as Mark said on the call yesterday, there's an emerging synergy between the work that they've done in Reality Labs and what's going on in AI. Look at what happened with the meta AI glasses. Look at the, you know, how they're leveraging their infrastructure, almost 600,000 H100 equivalents. Look at how they're leveraging that into an open source model that will bring us open source AGI and Llama 3. So I actually think the investment that they've been making in ARVR today is a lot more valuable than I thought it would be a year and a half ago, but that was before ChatGPT. Um, and so we see that, uh, you know, that value growing. Um, but they also, and credit goes to Susan Lee, they're taking this balanced approach between returning cash to shareholders by way of buybacks and dividends, at the same time making extraordinary investments in the business, 
just $20 billion in just Reality Labs alone. I think that that negative $120 billion uh, or $120 a share in attribution to Reality Labs will end up being a positive enterprise value in, in much the same way we gave negative value to AWS when Amazon was incubating it, you know, some 15 years ago. Um, but the truth is, it turned out they were digging the largest gold mine in the history of corporate America in plain sight, while Wall Street was attributing negative value to it. Let me ask you this. I, I do have another question related to Meta's, you know, earnings and, and, and that, but the week that was, what did we learn this week about the hyperscalers relative to AI? They're, it's seemingly starting to distance themselves from each other rather than trading in a pack. Is, is that the lesson of the week? It obviously speaks to what Microsoft did and what in some respects Alphabet didn't do. And now Meta on top of that, Amazon has its own AI dreams and, and hopes and um, through Anthropic and then the announcement they made with Rufus yesterday. But what did we learn this week? Well, I mean, Scott, we've been talking about this over the course of the last year. When it comes to the hyperscalers, cloud infrastructure, AI infrastructure, I think what we learned is that the year of belt tightening from 2023 is over. Organic growth rates have returned to where they were um, before that belt tightening occurred. And we're seeing the inflection of these new AI workloads, right, which are just beginning. But I was looking this morning in the quarter, if you aggregate the hyperscalers together, we added over $15 billion in ARR. That's annual recurring revenue, the single largest quarter in the history when you look at that aggregated number, right? And that is both a combination of the organic growth in data and infrastructure that's being built, which will benefit other companies um, like Snowflake, and also these new AI workloads beginning to kick in. But we also saw in the case of Google, as I've said, it's the greatest monopoly with the greatest monopoly profits in the history of capitalism. But replicating those monopoly profits in the age of perplexity, in the age of AI, in the age of answers, where everybody's gunning, right, for a piece of that profit pool is going to be very difficult. Um, and so, you know, I think that I think we saw that again. You know, look at it today. Meta's up 21 percent. I think that Google's actually down on the day. And it's not to beat up on Google, but it is to say that they haven't really made any change from 187,000 employees to 183. And they're going to be attacked from all fronts on their core business by other people who have designs on AI. So for me, that's one of the big takeaways. The winners, Microsoft, Amazon, and I think some companies we're going to see report in the future who are taking advantage of selling those services and AI infrastructure stacks. And on the other side, the tip of the spear, when it comes to the applications and driving AI profits, you certainly have Meta. And while it's not public, ByteDance TikTok, where we're also investors. Now, while no controversial, uh, you know, certainly in some quarters, is an extraordinary business with extraordinary growth rates and extraordinary incremental profitability that looks a lot like Meta. Uh, and if I, uh, you, you know, and I believe deserves to come public and will come public over the course of the next couple of years. Let's let's turn our attention to, to Amazon. And, you know, before I get your you know, deeper take on something, I want to, you know, get to our guy Jason Snipe here as, as well, who we didn't get a chance to talk to yet. We'll come back to you in a second, Brad. You own this one. Yep. And this was extraordinary in its own right. 
profits soaring to the highest level in two years. The guidance was good, record operating income. I mentioned these aspirations that they have in AI, this new announcement yesterday relative to generative AI. What's your take here? So, to your point, Scott, I mean, Amazon, it was a tremendous quarter. Um, you know, the one thing I look at is, as it relates to e-commerce, Jassy, that's not Jassy's baby, right? He's, he's just getting into the seat. He's been in the seat for some time now, but operating margins are growing dramatically. Um, and, and you're seeing the growth it, it accelerating there. Also, obviously, AWS, which is his baby, I mean, the numbers were in line, but the guide going forward, you're seeing some momentum with AWS. Um, the Anthropic play, I mean, their user base, what they're going to be able to do with AI was a very exciting call. So we're, we remain extremely bullish on Amazon, and I think that there's continued upside ahead for sure. Steph, you were, you know, admittedly, quote, a little nervous going into this print because, as you suggested earlier, the money that you had made out, out of Meta, you kept pouring back into Amazon incrementally getting bigger in, in that name. So now now what? Yes, it actually is my second largest position. So um, I was nervous because there was so much love for the name from the sell side and the buy side, but rightfully so. When you look at that quarter, they grew AWS of 13%, but that expanded 50 basis points. And to Jason's point, it's on track to get to 17, 18%, maybe by the end of this year. They also grew their ad business, which was really surprising, up 27%. That expanded 100 basis points. Um, from last quarter, and that was pretty impressive. The retail, the retail beat expectations uh, at, at, at this wide of a margin by the first time since 2018. So they're really humming on all of their businesses, and that's why I liked it. It was a three-prong approach. The operating margins, absolutely, they uh, did a great job. Four quarters in a row of expansion. So you have a company that's going to grow AWS to $100 billion by the end of this year. You have $100 billion in free cash flow generation by 20. 26, and you have a $100 billion opportunity in ad revenues by 2028. I like that for the long term. And the valuation, by the way, it did get cheaper. It's now at 35 times because the numbers are going up. Brad, do you think that AI is appreciated enough at Amazon? I mean, they, they've made these moves. And it's really interesting, too, when you think about the kind of hand that Bezos handed off to, to Jassy, it wasn't the easiest hand to play. It was a, you know, a bloated company in, in many respects. The trends were moving in different areas, and he's had to be his own uh, magnifier of where they were going to deploy their CapEx and go heavily, more heavily towards AI and the opportunities that it might present. What's your read here? Well, I give a tremendous amount of credit to Andy Jassy, Adam Salipsky, uh, who runs AWS and the team over there. Um, remember, they're the market leader. In, in cloud, <laughs> you know, we talk about them as somehow they're coming from behind. They've got a dominant retail business, which is going to benefit from AI. It's going to benefit through better targeting, better targeting of ads, better targeting of merchandise. Um, and, and, and I think that Jassy will continue to drive efficiency in that business. Um, and then when you look at AWS, it's the market leader. A year ago, I was concerned, and some others were, whether or not Microsoft's early lead, because of their partnership with OpenAI, would cause a bunch 
bunch of customers to leave Amazon and go to Azure in order to take advantage of the benefits of OpenAI. We didn't see that. We saw almost no uh, customer churn. They signed the deal with Anthropic. Anthropic's on a tear. They're going to have models which are every bit as good, uh, you know, in the near term as Chat GPT 4 and 4.5 Turbo, etc. And so this is a great, healthy, competitive race uh, in the landscape of models. Their customers, uh, you know, are continuing to voraciously move their data into Amazon, many of them putting it on Snowflake in Amazon or Snowflake in Azure, by the way. Um, but that's what we see. Everybody standing up their data and then leveraging new AI workloads. Remember at the end of the day, just telescope way out for a second. What, what is this AI business all about? Right? The founders of Snowflake said to me the other day, he said, when we got into this business, what we dreamed of was setting data free and set the data free so that every company on the planet can make better decisions with their data. We're now leveraging machines rather than just humans to make better decisions with data. That's what AI is. Artificial intelligence is leveraging the power of machines, which can look at giant patterns within, within data to predict what is the best decision going forward, whether it's language, whether it's video, et cetera. Um, and so I think we're seeing the beginnings of it. I was holding my breath uh, in this quarter. I didn't know whether it would land this quarter, next quarter, or the quarter after that. It's hard to know these things with any precision, but we're starting to see, we've answered the question. In fact, we're gonna see a lot of inference. We've talked a lot about NVIDIA over the course of last year, and let's remember those folks too in this whole conversation. Everybody said at the last end of last year, we had pulled forward all of the training. You know, this was dark fiber from internet in 2001. It was overvalued, despite the fact it was trading at 20 times earnings, its lowest multiple in history. Now it's up 25 or 30% after opening uh, the year down, and why is it up? It's up because Microsoft just told us there's massive inference going on within AI. It's up because Amazon told us the same thing. It's up because Susan Lee from Meta just told us yesterday that they're going to make huge future investments in infrastructure, read NVIDIA, uh, in order to support all of these initiatives. And mm -hmm. so, you know, to me, that's really the answer that we got today. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for Stephanie and crew being in Amazon. It's one of our top three positions as well. Um, you know, so we're big believers. You know, before I, before I let you run, and by the way, um, you know, Joe is not in, in Amazon, but Joe has just also rebalanced his ETF in a quarterly rebalance in which he added, I want you to talk about this for a minute, and then I want to get Brad's take, because Brad's in this name. You added Uber, okay? I mean, you added, you bought Tesla, you bought AMD, Palantir, Texas Instruments, Zoom Video, you sold Fortinet, and we can, we can put these up on the screen because we're not going to go through all of them, but talk to me uh, about Uber, why you, why you bought that, and it's one of Brad's largest holdings, and I want his take on the other side of what uh, you said. It, it was very easy to, 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 for the rules to acknowledge that it was time to buy Uber. It's the birth of profitability. It's the birth of profit, profitability. You could also recognize that in Zoom and in Palantir, and that's what the strategy is doing in going into those names, recognizing that finally the profitability is here as well as the momentum. Yeah, so again, just to uh, underscore, it's Tesla, it's AMD, uh, a stock that's just had an incredible run into its own earnings number, sold off a bit on that, of course, but nonetheless was up like 80% in three months. Texas Instruments, that's an interesting one because you're in, you're out, mm -hmm. now you're in. Palantir's back, Zoom's back. 
Brad, what's your read on this? Well, I'm glad Joe's in it. We're in it. There, you know, another company, Darakash Shahi, has done a tremendous job of driving margin expansion through discipline on the expense side of the business and leveraging the power of AI and everything from code generation to how they're pricing rides for consumers. Um, and so, you know, I think that's another one, uh, another good one in the stable. You know, one thing I would just say, Scott, because I know you're going to kick me off here. You know, we sit here on a Friday and we talk about all of this compounding, all of the great stuff you know, that's happening with these companies where the emergence of a new super cycle, um, you know, but all of this progress is not distributed equal, right? And there are a lot of folks, um, you know, who do have exposure to the stock market, but a lot of folks who don't. Um, and in the age of AI, you know, I'm going to give a plug again to Invest America 24. We've got to give investment accounts to every child born in America. It only costs us $3.7 billion a year to give everybody skin and upside in this game. And when you watch these numbers, when you see these companies compound, they only can do this because we live in a free market democracy that everybody contributes to. And so I think it's really important that everybody has upside in this game. You know, 100 years ago, a lot of your net worth was about your labor. Today, it's about your assets right, as those assets compound. So we need to make sure that the 70% of people who are being left out of the game of asset compounding are brought into the game. Um, and, uh, you know, because I don't think this is one day in the life of AI. We're at the very early stages. GDP is accelerating over the last 200 years. It's not decelerating. Um, but we just need to make sure that the progress is a little bit more evenly distributed. I appreciate you talking about that. Again, I, I know how dear it is to you. And I also know the groundswell that's sort of building around this. So you keep us updated on, on where this goes. Invest America 24, you've mentioned it several times on our program, and I'm, I'm glad you have. Brad, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care, y'all. That's Brad Gerstner joining us. Um, boy, who would have thunk that we'd do Apple in the B block? <laughs> what does that say about the sign of the times? We're going to kick Apple around. What do we do now? It may have been the most uncertain one coming in, and did it answer any questions coming out? Talk about it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Apple shares bouncing back from earlier lows uh, following those earnings. Let's let's kick this around. And I, I did say, and I, I mean this, it's kind of a sign of the times on, on this name, Steph, that here we are. We, we don't do it in our A block because it, I don't think it deserved to be mentioned in the A block with what Meta and, and Amazon did. And we suggested going in that maybe for a 
shocking change. It was the one with the most uncertainty going into the print. Yeah, and I didn't, yeah, it was a low bar. I, and I thought that we'd actually skip over that bar. And actually, I thought the quarter was fine. I mean, when you look at it, right? I mean, EBIT was up 12%, earnings up 16%, free cash flow up 26%, gross margins at the high end of the range. We knew they were going to lower guidance. We knew China was going to be really disappointing. I don't think China's going to be disappointing forever. I think eventually they'll fix that. And I do think the guidance now has been reset. So you know, actually, I'm a very small position in Apple. Mm -hmm. I'm actually inclined to add to this name. Wow. Absolutely. If you think long term and you talk about AI and, and they have a very big event in, in six months time, um, it may not be immediately that I buy it, buy, buy more, but it, the, the reaction today tells you that people, this was kind of the clearing event, and maybe this is your opportunity to get this thing a little bit cheaper and, uh, and, and with a longer-term AI benefit. Go to that, you know, that thing that uh, the legend Lee Cooperman, you know, has suggested to us in the past. You have a, you know, a, a sort of a whatever earnings report, stock goes down. The rally back in a name is powerful to yeah. look at, and so what you're alluding to as well. You want to touch on this, which is a sizable holding I, I, for I you? I do because, you know, coming into the morning, if I looked intuitively at Apple, I would have thought you would have seen further weakness in the stock. But yet, when I look at the strategy that we're implementing within the market uh, that creates this ETF, I can tell you that when you look at the two factors, nothing about the report yesterday deteriorated the factors and, and, and those mm. factors remained remarkably strong. So they there's, have a there's the balance. They have a China problem. The, yeah. Okay. Let's not just gloss over, we know they that. have a China problem. They have a China problem, they have regulatory issues in Europe, but that's that's a known. We, we That's already built into the stock price to a certain extent. So Is it? Uh, look, the, is it, it obviously is. It, it is? obviously, to a certain extent, yeah. is is built in already. The stock was in the 160s, now it's you know almost 190 again for what is a 20% clip of revenue relying on China. That's How is a, that built into the stock? That's, that's resiliency. That's that why is, they just lowered numbers. That's the resiliency. Though, that's why they just that's lowered the bounce numbers. back. They, they lowered numbers, right? Total revenue is going to be down 10% for the March quarter. Look, China is a big part of iPhones. It's 20% of the iPhones. iPhones are 50% of the company. So, But eventually, they are going to get this thing fixed. And in the meantime, by the way, the rest of emerging markets grew double digits. And what was surprising to me in the, in the quarter was it was Macs, iPads, wearable services actually all did better than expected, and they expect it still to do okay. So I think, yeah, it's China is definitely a problem, but I think they will get that fixed. Yeah. You have to hope that China has troughed, I guess. Right. I mean, right, right, right. I so. and, I, and I think, you know, to, to Steffi's point, I mean, we, we knew this was going to happen. We got some signaling from an analyst about the supply chain. So we knew China was going to be a problem. And, you know, to all our points, it's 18% of revenue. So that that's significant. Um, but, you know, the other point that you just made, which I think is we, we need to con continue to bring to light, is emerging markets is growing. Latin America, India is really continuing to grow. Services was pretty much in line, but growing sequentially. So, you know, I think Apple continues to be a mainstay, and it's it's really good to see the price action, given all the news that yeah. we've seen recently. No, it's, you make a great point. Uh, it's powerful price action. I mean, there's yeah. no... Yeah. There's no way to, to, to say it any other way, especially I think it's green now, as, as you guys were, were suggesting. Let's get to Silvana Hanau has the headlines for us. Hey, Silvana. Hey, Scott. Good afternoon to you. Former WWE CEO Vince McMahon is under a federal criminal investigation to determine whether or not a federal law was broken around allegations of sex abuse and trafficking 
Sources telling NBC News McMahon and a former executive at WWE were sued last week by a former employee alleging those crimes and has denied the allegations. He has stepped down from all of his roles within the TKO group, WWE's parent company. Former President Donald Trump said that he wouldn't reappoint Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell if he were reelected. In an interview on Fox Business this morning, Trump accused Powell of considering rate cuts to give Democrats an advantage for the elections. Trump said that he had a few names in mind for the position, but didn't share the names. And an asteroid the size of the Empire State Building will pass by Earth today. NASA said the asteroid discovered in 2008 will pass within 1.7 million miles of us. Now, that is seven times the distance between the Earth and the moon, Scott. Silvana, thank you. Yeah. Silvana now. All right, coming up, we have many, many more moves from Joe T on his rebalance of the ETF. So we have, I've got a lot of financial names in front of me, some energy names too. We'll do them next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Neuroscience. That's why I hear the bell and the cheers there. Uh, so that's that's open for business. You wish, you wish. But let's get to your rebalances here because you you raised your exposure by more than 50 percent to the financial space, but not with the big banks or the regional banks. These are through. We're talking like Ameriprise, Financial, Blackstone, Chubb, Discover, KKR, Market Access, Progressive, and S&P Global. It's the one you sold. Though. You. Just tell me about the buys, because the one that you sold really jumps out to me more than anything else. And, and it should jump out to you. Berkshire uh, Hathaway, you sold. We sold Berkshire Hathaway. It's, it's, it's <laughs> fine, record scratch. Financial <laughs> services, it's insurance companies. Uh, we, took, we took the weighting, the strategy took the weighting from 8.8% to 14.4%, a little bit above where the S&P is, somewhere around 13%. We, did, we sold out of regional banks last year in January of 23. To your question on Berkshire Hathaway, why did the strategy go out of Berkshire Hathaway? Uh, brought, it bought Berkshire Hathaway in October at 341. Mm -hmm. It sells out of it today at 384. What's the challenge? When you look at Berkshire Hathaway, the way that the company is constructed because it is so diversified, it never really will score well on the quality metric for 
uh, return on equity. The return on equity for Berkshire Hathaway is always going to be low. So what will happen with Berkshire Hathaway Why was it in there in the first place then? What will happen, I was getting to that point. What will happen with Berkshire Hathaway (laughs) is that eventually momentum gets white hot and you're able almost for a trade to go into Berkshire Hathaway and ride that momentum where momentum is really, really strong for for the stock. Uh, we did that back in 2021. Yeah. It was done again here in 2023. Can we see a, year, a one year on this guy's place? Made, made a, it's, it's been phenomenal, but we made a profit on it. We, we, we went into 341. Uh, we just sold out of it recently. But because, as I said, fundamentally, Berkshire Hathaway is never going to score well on something that we value, which is return on it. Hey, sometimes you got to make an exception to the rule. No, the go. The rules are the rules, and the if co- I didn't follow the rules, I don't think I'd be in the position I'm in. All right. So the rules, uh, by virtue of the rules, you cut your energy exposure in half. Yeah, it's interesting because what what financials benefited from in terms of ownership uh, really came from from energy. The strategy was dramatically overweight energy, 12.8 percent. We're down to 6.4 percent. We had 16 names. Um, the strategy sold out of eight names and sell out of them for any fundamental reason. These companies are fundamentally in, in strong position. Out of Chevron, this was a Exxon, breakdown. Conoco, EOG, Halliburton, Oxy, and SLB. This was a breakdown in momentum. We're still maintaining ownership in some natural gas type names like One Oak, uh, Cotera. We have some refiners like um, Valero and Phillips 66. Still have a slight overweight to energy, but just not to the intensity that we previously did. Steph, you've been getting bigger in SLB. Yeah, that's a big weighting, though, 12%. 12.8%. That's, a, that's very, very big. So I but understand li- what you're doing there. Yeah, but listen, we, we had Chevron, Conoco, yeah. and EOG from January of 2022. Oh, so right. we rode a really good wave. Right. No, absolutely. But it's 4% of the S&P 500. So I understand why you're p- pulling that back for sure. Um, SLB, yeah. I mean, SLB fell on the Saudi Aramco news uh, earlier this week. It fell 7% mm-hmm. uh, because CapEx from Saudi Aramco is actually going to be less than expected from 13 million barrels a day to 12 which is what they're currently producing right now. So not to get too into the weeds, but it's about 2% of EBITDA in 2027. So I thought the, it was way overdone. This is best in class, number one oil field service company in the world, trading at 13 times forward estimates. Just beat, and margins are going higher, and free cash flow is also going so up. So Chevron was bounced. Yep. You bounced it this yep. week. I right? did. I did. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, and we, we talked about it, obviously, um, earlier in the week, but you know, the stock was down 17% last year. Um, you know, for me, as it relates to earnings revisions, they are going downward in energy, and earnings were, were revised down 14% for Chevron. So that's why we decided to unload it. All right, coming up, we have uh, more committee moves. Uh, Jason sold an industrial name. We've got some more Joe T rebalance moves as well. And Mike Santoli's next with his midday words. We've got a lot still ahead. We're back with our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, here at the desk. Uh, yes, this is a meta market. Amazon, I get it. But this is also a good news is okay to be good news market with that jobs report. Yeah, we're getting tested on it a little bit. Um, you know, I, the average stock is kind of backing off slightly. The small caps are, are struggling a little bit. Uh, but it's interesting that, that the bond market is not grabbing hold of a 353,000 net new jobs number and running with it as if it's the trend. One year ago tomorrow, we got a January jobs number was over 500,000. The estimate was under two, something about January. But remember what happened last year. 
the narrative became overheating market, Fed's got to go to 6%. Uh, you know, so it became this kind of narrative scramble after that. And so we're not really doing that right now. We're not sort of taking that and saying this is the new trend. But takeaway, economic resilience plus inflation mostly going the right way enables us to wait for the Fed to have the data go its direction. And, uh, and yes, it's OK. It's still a little bit of an uneven market, let's be honest, mm-hmm. um, but not fatally so at this point. Got through a big week. Uh, yeah, you know, we exactly. Got a few hours we survived. Left to go, but I think Fed, we survived at Fed meeting yeah. and all these mega caps and. You know, they, they'll come out net positive for sure. Right. And, and bond yields, for as much as they got, you know, jerked around today by the number, they're in the range. You know, it's gone, tens have gone from 3.8 to 4.2 in the last month or so, and we're right in the middle of it. Uh, see you on closing, bell. Look forward to that, Mike Santoli. All right, coming up, even more moves from Joe T's rebalance. Some big trades in the consumer space. We're going to do those next. We're going to do our call of the day. It is Oppenheimer boosting its price target on Costco. 760 bucks from 695 Shares ripped last year. You're in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, Costco continues to be a compounder in this space. You know, what, what I what I what I think for me is really important is discretionary trends are continuing to improve. Inflationary trends are starting to come down. That annuity income on the membership growth. So I really continue to like cons- Costco in the consumer space. I think that's the one only. Okay, so Joe, you own it in the in the Joe T. Now, in terms of rebalancing out of some consumer-related names, and you've got you bought Coupang, uh, Ulta, you sold Marriott, Booking, TJX, Steph, Ross, Burlington, <laughs> and Aptiv. Talk to us. All right. So in TJX, it's a very tough sale. Uh, this is an outstanding retail name. Uh, the the problem with that is that the fourth quarter, relative to the market itself, a TJX really didn't give you very much. Uh, that was an indication within the strategy that maybe the momentum is beginning to be somewhat exhausted. Um, keep in mind, you know, this is a quarterly rebound, so it's something that we could go back into once again relatively easy. Um, in terms of Marriott and Rostar, there was a little bit of a deterioration in the debt to equity uh, component of what we're looking at. And then Coupang, which is very interesting, that's South Korea e-commerce, what mm-hmm. we're seeing there, similar to what we witnessed with Zoom and Palantir and Uber, is that profitability finally appear that's been missing for several years. Steph, TJX. So yeah, TJX is kind of like a steady eddy. It's up 22% last year, um, so it kind of lagged. Um, but I, I like it. I think they're benefiting from the excess inventory in the overall retail segment. They actually raised their same store sales last year to be mid single digits from that two to three percent level. I like the fact that it has home goods and housing exposure because you know I like housing for the full year, and I think gross margins actually improve as well. So it's not cheap at all. It kind of reminds me of like McDonald's t- type of thing, but it's a steady eddy and I, I think that uh, as margins in- increase you'll see operating leverage. I'm looking at some healthcare moves too that you're underweight exposure which is unchanged. Correct. You sold Stryker which Jason owns. You sold Zoetis which Steph owns. You bought Dexcom and Steris. Yeah, why'd, you, why'd you make these moves? There, there's not very much there um, in terms of momentum for healthcare. So what you had in the case of Stryker and Zoetis was nothing more than the opportunity to recognize some near-term momentum, uh, which was done in Stryker in July, purchased the stock, um, we sold it out at 335, we bought it at like 283, the strategy did. And the same thing can be said for Zoetis. 
uh, the end of October, went in, purchased Oetis, selling that out. Again, a profit. But there's really no clear momentum um, in healthcare to speak of. Even with Stryker and Zoetis up like a lot in three months, that's not momentum? <laughs> well, but, Come on, but, Steph, but again, help me we, out. What am I missing remember, here, Joe remember, T? But remember something, pull back the lens on both. Now, let's pull back the lens okay. on each of those stocks and take Stryker, for example. Mm-hmm. You'll really see not very much momentum in the early part of 2023. So, okay, I'm confident and I'm happy that what the strategy did was it went in from the July through January period and it captured when Stryker actually had the momentum in place and the same could be said for Zoetis. It did that at the end of October. It captured the momentum in November, December into the end I mean, of January. I think MedTech is actually really interesting because utilization rates are just starting to inflect higher. So I own Zimmer, you own Stryker. I think that's the way to go within healthcare. At Zoetis, I'm not touching it. Long-term, great story. Okay, so I've got two more moves in front of me that we're gonna do right after this break. It's a sale from Jason, industrial stock, and uh, well, Joe sold an ag name too. We're back after this. Closing bell, Tom Lee. What more needs to be said? He's got a big target for the S&P. We'll see if we can get above 49.50 today. So I hope you join me 3 o'clock Eastern time. Jason Snipe, final trade. MasterCard, cross-border volumes were up 24%. I like the momentum here. Hmm. Stephanie Link. American Express, a little bit cheaper than MasterCard, but they had net new customer acquisitions at 2.9 million. The rebalancer. Four names have been in the strategy since inception of November of 2020. Amphenol is one of them. The others are Clack, Synopsis, and Cadence Design. Wow, they've, they've met the rules for the entire time. The entire time. Tech, all technology names. Right now we have software at 13%, semis at 10%. Okay. So we are going to track this move in meta and everything else, and I will see you for the last hour of the week. Closing bell. Exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.